Hi, this is Pastor Daryl Beggs. You're listening to Sunday Morning Sermons from Central Baptist Church in Hillsboro, Texas. Thanks for joining us, and God bless you. Some people are maybe at death's door, but they kind of wait around to go home until the new preacher comes because they want their pastor to preach their funeral. So this guy showed up to town, and he had like eight funerals in the first few weeks he was there, and he was just exhausted, and he didn't really have time to prepare for Sunday morning sermon as much as he wanted to. So he preached the same Sunday morning sermon three times in a row. And some of the people got concerned about that. And, you know, they didn't really want to insult the guy. He was new, but they wanted to know what was going on. So they decided they'd go to the director of missions. And they went to the director of missions and said, we're just worried about our new preacher. He keeps preaching the same sermon the last three Sundays, same one. And the director of missions looked at him and said, is that right? I said, well, what was it about? And they all looked at each other, and they said, we don't know. And he said, well, it's probably safe that he preaches it again. So uh, this is one of those passages you really want to know. You want to remember this one because this one is really, really important. Not that they all aren't, but especially if you really need to have hope for your life. This uh, message is called The Coming of the Lord. And the word hope biblically means confident expectation. It means something we're looking forward to. We're going through this series called Enduring Hope. What is enduring hope? Well, that's hope that lasts forever from now on. And that's the kind of hope. It's the kind of hope that spurs us to serve God faithfully and with an expectation of the glory of meeting Him face to face. That's the kind of hope that we're talking about. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Phoenicians, Egyptians, Persians, Greeks, Romans had many, many gods. They had gods for war, uh, gods of industry, gods of agriculture, gods of cities, gods of towns, and various other gods. But of all the gods of all of these cultures, there was not one called the God of hope. But listen to what the Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 4 in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. What wonderful words. Praise the one true God, the God of hope. He is the God that brings us hope, and that hope conveys a sense of expectancy and urgency and obligation for us to live for things that matter and things that are eternal. It gives reason to be hopeful and calls us to be fruitful. Like the parables of Jesus in the latter part of Matthew when he talked about being ready and being busy. Occupy, work until I come. For in an hour that you think not, he said, the Son of Man will come. And it could happen any, any moment. So as we look at this today, how can we be ready for the coming of the Lord? First of all, we need to be informed. In that verse 13, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed. 
You know, have you ever heard the saying, knowledge is power? Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to your loved ones. You've got to remember that in this first century church, this was all brand new to them. They weren't sure. They had heard about, of course, they knew about Jesus and the resurrection, but they weren't sure what was going to happen to their loved ones who had already passed away. Would they miss it? What was going to happen to their bodies? And so Paul gave them the information that they needed to have hope and continue to have hope. Paul compared death here to sleep. Now, what he's talking about sleep, he's just talking about when you bury a body, it's compared to going to sleep. What is sleep? Well, hopefully it's temporary unless you die in your sleep, which, by the way, if any of us could pick, wouldn't that be the best way to go? But when you lay down at night, you're expecting to get up the next morning. It's a temporary thing. Then Paul is just talking about our body. We know that the Scripture says that as soon as we die, that our spirit goes to be with the Lord. So we put the body in the ground, or the body is cremated, or the body is at sea. I don't know. There's bodies all over everywhere in this world. Some, we we don't know where they are, I'm sure. But God knows. And those people, quote, sleep. And that's the word that he uses with him. But he's not talking about soul sleep. It doesn't mean that they stay there until the Lord comes. No, they go to be with the Lord. How do we know that? Well, you just read the next verse. In verse 14, it says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Well, how's he going to bring them with him if they're not already there? So we know where they are. We know that they're there and that he's going to bring them when he comes again. But you know something else about this that is very uh, eye-opening and something that we need to all consider? Nobody ever sleeps in the grave. There's no such thing as soul sleep. And that means believer or unbeliever. Soon as we die here, we go to our eternal destination. If you know Jesus, you go to be with Him. If you don't know Him, you go to a place called Hades or hell. That's what the Scripture says. How do we know that? Well, that's what Jesus said. You remember Jesus, He told the story about the rich man and Lazarus, the poor beggar? He he talked about this selfish rich man who dined sumptuously and dressed in fine clothing, never gave a thought to anybody else, never gave a thought to God. He was his own God. And then he talked about poor Lazarus, a man who was so poor and had sores all over his body, and the dogs would come and lick his sores, and it just felt so good he wouldn't even want to shoo him away. He was just a pitiful soul. But one, though he had no earthly possessions, he had faith. And so when he died, Jesus said he went to be with the Lord. And the rich man who did not acknowledge God went to hell. And he looked up and he saw this rich man who is in agony in hell, looks up and he sees Lazarus up there in Abraham's bosom, which is a, a, a way to say he was in heaven. He was in Abraham's bosom. And he cried out, Father Abraham, let Lazarus come down and just dip, just dip a drop of water and put it on my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. And Abraham said, no, there's a great chasm that has been fixed between here and there, and we can't come there, and you can't come here. He said, well, I have five brothers. Have somebody go and tell them. Send Lazarus back to go and tell him. And you remember what Abraham said? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they won't believe them, they won't even believe someone who's been raised from the dead. So we know that nobody sleeps in the grave, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. But aren't you thankful today that you're a believer? 
that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful for those that you love who had faith in Christ, who've died and await the coming of the Lord? Their bodies await, but they're with Him today. You don't have to worry about them being in agony somewhere. We know that they're in a place Jesus called paradise, that Paul called paradise. To grieve like those without hope would be to forget Jesus' whole purpose in coming. But, but grief can be a debilitating thing. I want to read this little paragraph to you. It's, uh, it just says this, When William Sloan Coffin was pastor of Riverside Church in New York, his 24-year-old son Alexander was killed in a car wreck. The next time he got to the pulpit, he preached a sermon called Alex's Death. When I thought about that, I thought, that's a brave man. In response to the flood of letters which came to him, he, he lamented, he said this, I know the right biblical passages, including blessed are those who mourn, and my faith is no house of cards, he said. These passages are true, and I know they are. But the point is this, while the words of the Bible are true, grief renders them unreal. The reality of grief is the solitude of pain, the feeling that your heart is in pieces, your mind's a blank, that there is no joy the world can give like that that it takes away. Sometimes when you're hurting so badly, you know the promises of God, but it just hurts. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the good news is that Paul said, you can grieve and you can hurt but not like you don't have hope. Blessed hope. We have hope in a God. And grief is very real. And how do we work through that? We remember the promises of God. We pray through the promises of God. And we allow God to speak into our hearts hope and truth and His glory and the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we overcome that. Be informed, he says. Jesus came... Jesus came to take the sting out of death. You remember that in Corinthians? It says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to take the sting out of death for those that we love who have gone before us, but also for those of us who remain behind. So let me ask you today, what if today was your day? What if your time is up right now? This is it. And God called you home. It's happened before. People have died in church. Some people have had heart attacks. Other, you know, the terrible thing that happened in the church down south here. What if today there was someone who came in and started shooting? What if today would you have the assurance of your salvation? That if today was your last breath in this earthly body, that it would be your first breath in the presence of God? How can we know that? Well, we can know that if we trust in Jesus. You know, over in 1 John, John said, These things I have written to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Can we know that we have eternal life? Sure we can. How do we know that? We can know that by turning from our sins, realizing that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We can know that by knowing that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can know that 
The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if today was your day, would you be ready? And also, let me ask you this. Would your family members, if today was your day and your family members were planning a funeral this week for you, would they have peace about your eternal destiny? How many of you have someone in your family or a close friend that you're just not sure about, that you're concerned about? Anybody? Oh, so many of us. We want to have peace about that, don't we? Let's pray for those folks together because we know that this is a certainty, but He does not want us to be uninformed about those who are asleep who have died in Christ because they're going to be fine. So He says, be informed, but then secondly, He says, be confident. In verses 14 and 15, He says there, um, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the word if can also be translated since. You may have a translation that translates that since. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Those are five words that change death forever. Jesus died and rose again. Could you say it with me? Jesus died and rose again. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound wonderful? Say it again. Jesus died and rose again. It changed everything forever and ever. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. If you want to know what God thinks of your loved one, look no further than the resurrection. Then you'll see. Notice that he said Christians fall asleep, but Jesus died. What does he mean by that? Jesus died. Jesus took the horrific consequences of death. He died. You know, when Jesus said, John 3, 16, for whosoever believe in him shall not what? Perish, be separated from God. Jesus took our perishing on the cross. He was separated. He took the punishment in darkness and the punishment of hell and the separation. You know, the worst part about hell is there's this chasm, there's this separation, and you can never cross back over. Jesus took that. He went there, but he crossed back over, and he came back to life to give us victory. He died so that we could sleep in the grave and be with him and come again with him. That's why it says he died and we sleep. Do you believe in the resurrection? Well, I do. It's the whole reason we're here, right? We believe in the resurrection. Well, do you believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let me help you believe in that a little more. You can be confident. 23 out of the 27 New Testament books state that Jesus is coming again. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talk about either His coming or the end of times when He'll have victory. It gets better. For every reference to His first coming, there are eight references to His second coming. Do you think that's important to God and for us to be prepared? These are not there for speculation. They're, they're there for us to have anticipation and motivation to serve God and be who He wants us to be. So you can be confident. Paul said, I got this by a revelation. I got it by the word of the Lord. I don't know if he meant the Lord gave it to him personally or that he got it from what Jesus said. But either way, 
we can be confident in the promises of God. So he said, be informed if you want to be ready. Be confident because as sure as he was raised, he's coming again. And then thirdly, be expectant. Look at the uh, verse 15 there. We say by the word of the Lord that we are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord will not precede those who has fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend. How? With a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He will descend where? In the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air, according to the scripture? Who is that? Isn't that Satan himself? Oh, there's going to be a rumble in the air, but you can have no doubt about who's going to win that fight. He's going to defeat him on his own ground. He's going to come and snatch us up in the air and laugh in the face of the enemy. It's going to be a glorious, wonderful day. It's going to happen right there where Satan is trying to hold people back. Someone said he left heaven first to come to earth for us, but will leave again to take believers from earth to him. But remember, it's reserved only for those who who put faith in Christ. Everyone else is left behind. So whether we live or die, he's going to come with us or for us. Three sounds he talked about, three of them, a shout of command. That's the, that's the same words that's used when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. And here he came out of the tomb bound in those grave clothes. And then it talks about the voice of the archangel. The only archangel that is named in the Bible is Michael. But according to Daniel, there may be more. But we do know this, that the angels are going to have part in the celebration, just like they did at the first coming when they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. They're going to be proclaiming his glory and his victory. And then with the trumpet of God, trumpets were used in the Old Testament to declare war and announce times and seasons and gather the people for a journey. In Roman times, trumpets were used to proclaim the arrival of an important person of a king. The king is coming. The king is coming. And the trumpet will sound. And oh, his face we're going to see. That's what he's talking about here. And the dead in Christ will rise first. How is God going to do that? Well, I don't know. He's God and I'm not. But I know this. The Bible says that when our bodies are put in the ground, it's like a seed. When you put a seed in the ground, does what come out of the ground look like that seed? No, it don't look anything like it. The seed perishes. It's gone. But when it comes up, a, a flower seed turns into something beautiful. And they're going to be raised with glorified bodies that can never be subject to any more pain or suffering or disease. What a glorious day that's going to be. But he says, it gets better. We're going to be caught up. We're going to be raptured. The word rapture is a Latin word. It comes from the word rapturo. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's a translation in the Latin Vulgate. Uh, of the Bible. And so that's why we hear the term rapture. But there's a Greek scholar by the name of Kenneth Weiss, and he said, here's what this means. It means, first of all, to catch away speedily. It's like when um, Philip was witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Bible says he was snatched away and taken to another place. Wouldn't that have been an interesting day? Talk about time travel. Philip experienced it. He went from one place to the other before he knew it. Caught away, snatched away in the twinkling of an eye. It means also to seize by force. Neither Satan nor gravity nor our own penchant to sin is going to keep us here on this earth. He's going to take us away by the force of his grace. And then to claim for oneself. 
Oh, from the Lord's point of view, it's going to be a glorious day because He's finally going to welcome all of His children home. It means to move to a new place. What did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It means to rescue from danger. It means that this church, the the believers, it, it seems to imply that we'll be taken out before the time of the great tribulation. He to rescue me from danger, what? Interposed his precious blood. It means all of those things and much more. That's what it means to be caught up together with the Lord. It'll be glorious, worshipful, permanent. It'll be forever. And it will be a day of reckoning. For on that day, we will not be, we will not be worried about our salvation. We will not give account for that. For Jesus bought that with his precious blood. But we will give an account for what we have done with the gifts and abilities and the treasures that God has entrusted to us. And oh, on that day, we want to hear, well done, don't we? God help us to do that. C.S. Lewis, in the final paragraph of the Chronicles of Narnia, said this, It is chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and I love this line, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, We have so much to look forward to, more than we could ever even imagine. Be expectant, for His coming is imminent anytime, and it's also going to be immediate. No turning back, no second chances. I read a story about a camp manager. He was at a summer Bible camp, and he went into town to get supplies. Well, they decided to play a trick on him. When he came back, there were clothes all over the ground. Everybody was hid out. They had left something on in the kitchen, but those people were all gone. They left a boat out on the lake just going around and around and around. What a terrible joke. He came back to the camp, and he, didn't, he, he was afraid he might have missed it. And they, they finally, somebody kind of told him what happened, and he, he said, man, for a minute there, y'all really had me worried. You don't have to be worried if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the last word he says here. Be informed, be confident, just like he was raised, he's coming again. Be expectant, it could be at any time, be about his business. And then finally he says, be comforted. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Because you're informed, bodies will sleep, but they're going to come up out of those graves. As surely as he died, he's coming. Robert Murray McShane said, who was a Presbyterian preacher from another generation, a godly man, he used to ask people when he would run into them, do you think Christ will return today? And they would say, no, not today. And he would say, then my friend, you'd better be ready, for he is coming at an hour when you think not. Not. 